I've written several books, two of which are commentaries in the book of Revelation. But this book, um, uh, I've just got some copies which I'm selling for 15 pounds, which is, I think, a pound cheaper than you can get it on Amazon. But I'll explain what it is. Um, it's not a book for everyone. Um, I was commissioned to do it with my group of churches that I work with in the United States uh, who wanted, who realized that uh, particularly as leaders, they had no biblical resource to address some of the issues for our kind of churches. You could go to a Christian bookstore and believe me, in the United States, if you go to a Christian bookstore, you have to fight through the plaques and all the knickknacks to get to any books. But um, anyway, uh, you could find, if you were a Baptist or Presbyterian or whatever, you could find. But what about apostolic ministry, prophetic ministry, um, the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, faith, divine healing, all these things? And I went to Dave Devinish and asked him to write a, a foreword, which he kindly did. And he said, I'm not aware of any book anywhere within our kind of churches, not just New Frontiers, but other similar churches that gathers all these topics together and addresses them. So, uh, anyway, uh, that's it. If you want to uh, buy a copy, uh, I don't know. I'll take IOUs, I'll take the shirt off your back, I'll take whatever I can get. <laughs> They're 15 pounds if you don't have the money. Uh, Somebody else can look after it, and if you want to nick it, then there you go. So, <laughs> pretty bad when people nick theological books in church meetings, but anyway. Uh, now, I, I thought I would have some of the Revelation books, but I sold out when I was in the Northeast, so there's a great interest in the end of the world. If you lived in some places, let me tell you this, if you lived in some places in the Northeast, you'd want the end of the world would be welcome. <laughs> I said, my wife comes in the Northeast, so I have to be careful what I say. Now then, uh, um, I appreciate the prophetic, uh, the two prophetic brothers who prayed toward the end. Uh, set the stage really nicely. It's always wonderful, isn't it, Steve, when uh, your message is basically predicted or outlined uh, before, right, during the worship time. And I've had some amazing experiences that way. But anyway, so this morning I'd like to talk to you, and I do have my watch here. I'll get through this absolutely as quickly as I can uh, so that your par parking permit doesn't run out before the Lord returns. <laughs> something like that. Uh, and... Uh, the Apostle Paul faced a series of enormous challenges in his life. Uh, you know, those words he wrote, not many of us could write them. With far greater labors, more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Uh, 3,000 elders meetings. No, that wasn't in here. <laughs> uh, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times shipwrecked. A night and a day I was drift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, robbers, my own people, Gentiles, dangers in the city, in the wilderness at sea, false brothers, toil and hardship, and etc., 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 and on it goes. But through all these trials, somehow he found a power that enabled him to come out the other end of his suffering. Not with his faith destroyed, but with it strengthened. I was so intrigued with this, I've written a book on suffering, which titled Light in Your Darkness, which I'm hoping to get published sometime. Uh, but as we look at the lessons that God taught Paul, 
there's one thing we need to remember, and that is this. The reality of our faith does not depend on outward circumstances changing or our needs being met. The reality of our faith depends on a revelation of the Holy Spirit to our hearts and minds of who God is and that He is more than enough. And if you have that, you've got all you need. Paul said, we have this treasure in what? Jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're all slow learners, I think, in this room. I sure am. Jars of clay. But in that sentence, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. In that one sentence is expressed, I believe, the secret of the release of the power of God. Now, God's destiny for us as men is to carry His power, to carry the treasure of His presence. We're called to government. We're called to responsibility. We're called to authority. Uh, That puts us at the sharp end of the arrow when it comes to the attacks of the enemy, doesn't it? And the enemy knows how to attack. It comes often in the form of one thing after another that gradually wears away our defenses, grinds us down, and leaves us weak and exposed to temptation and feeling like giving up. If we're honest, every single man in this room has felt at one point or another like giving up. The difference is, some of us don't. Amen? Hopefully, none of us give up. But we do carry the treasure in jars of clay, and clay pots were the humblest form of kitchenware. In those days, they were cheap, and unattractive, and the greatest value they had was the food that they held within them. And same for us. Now, Paul isn't making this statement to suggest that we're worthless to God. He makes it to point out that in ourselves, we're nothing. However, however, we do have the capacity to carry something great. Every one of us, in fact, has that capacity. To carry greatness is not to be the President of the United States or the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom or whatever. That's not to carry greatness. To carry greatness is just to do more than the world thinks you can do. That's my definition. And to carry greatness is to do more than you think you can do. And you can do more than you think you can do. You may feel all you have is a lawnmower engine. But with God, you can move up to a four-cylinder. If you have a four, you can move up to a six. If you have a six, you can move up to an eight. If you have an eight, you can move up to a twelve, like the Bentley that a friend of mine has, which is rather frightening to drive in. Well, the way he drives it. (laughs) Let me tell you, don't drive anywhere with Jonathan. It'll take you three times as long to get there, but you'll have a nice tour of every surrounding town in the countryside before you actually get to your destination. (laughs) Good thing he loves me. (laughs) Now listen, the prerequisite for carrying greatness is not to be somebody special. In fact, God can't use those who think they're something, something special. The prerequisite for carrying greatness is to know that the source of that greatness is God and not us. To carry this treasure brings great joy and great pain. The greatest treasure of all was found in a man hanging naked on a Roman cross. 
You see, Jesus knew he was carrying the treasure of God's presence. He, he was the temple, right? He replaced the temple. He, he left the temple for the last time to close it down. And Jesus knew he was carrying that treasure of God's presence even when he hung on the cross. He was governing the course of human history as he hung on that cross, even though it didn't look like it to anybody else. And Jesus is not only our salvation, he's our example. God exhorts us to run the race set before us because Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. Now, at times, the race is going to be hard and painful. Matter of fact, I got up yesterday, I decided I'd go for a run. I took one look. There's way too many hills around here. I decided to go for a walk instead. I wimped out. But God calls us, even though the race is going to be hard and painful, sometimes excruciatingly hard, but we can run the race even as He did. You cannot carry the treasure without carrying the cross. So that's the, that's the problem with the prosperity message. And, uh, and it's around. Uh, but it suggests you can carry the treasure without carrying the cross, or implies that. It's not true. It's a lie. You can't have one without the other. But listen, in the end, it's always worth it. That's the message of the book of Revelation. Uh, in the, it's a message to a church that is suffering and is exhorted not to compromise in the midst of temptation to compromise because the reward in the end is always worth it. Now, all of us want to experience the power of God. Young man that I discipled came to visit me yesterday. He's been in Africa and Asia and has seen all manner of biblical miracles, including being in teams where they've seen a four-year-old boy raised from the dead. And uh, I tell you what, my wife said, uh, get him to lay hands on you. Uh, well, I lay those hands on me, and he did. Uh, and uh, when you, it always comes back to you. You know what you reap, you sow. That might even be in the Bible somewhere. Should be if it isn't. Anyway, <laughs> it is. <clears throat> um, when you disciple younger men, uh, they'll look after you a few years later. It's just like we have. I have three sons, I also have five daughters, and I'm hoping that some of them will look after me in my old age. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, but you know, it comes back to you in blessing, doesn't it? You invest into sons and daughters, then you have grandchildren and so on. In the end, it's always worth it. And so, I got that young man to pray for me, and it was very encouraging, very encouraging him to see. You know, you... Okay, I'll just shut up because I've got to finish this. I've got 21 minutes before the buzzer goes and the, everyone vaporizes because they don't want to pay the extra 50p for their parking. Man, oh man. You think there might be some commitment in this church, don't you? Of course, Steve's got a free parking permit. I'm sure he does, so he don't care. <laughs> I know Jonathan does. <clears throat> he says you can borrow it any time you want. All right. Now, all of us want to experience the power of God. Who wouldn't want to prophesy? Who wouldn't want to pray for the sick? Who wouldn't want to witness miracles? All of us. And all of us want to be men who set a standard. All of us want to be men who succeed. All of us want to be men who do something in life, who have good marriages, good families, and good finances. We want that. 
But more than anything, the success of a man of God is to look like Jesus Christ. But what about the cost? What does it look like to follow Jesus? What does it look like to carry the presence as He did? What does it look like to carry the call and to carry the destiny in the clay jars of our lives? What does that look like? Well, when he wrote 2 Corinthians, which I think is an amazing book uh, for people who are discouraged, he was in a time of great crisis. According to the first chapter, the affliction was so severe it caused him to despair even of life, to feel that the sentence of death had been passed on him. Yet this is the man who in the very same letter letter, talks about the signs and wonders and mighty works uh, that God had done through him. He describes his experience of being caught up to the third heaven. I mean, I take the second heaven, let alone the third. Uh, But in that same letter, he goes on and tells us how he was rejected and abandoned by the very people he led to Christ. And in whose presence all those mighty works have been done. Most pain is caused by people, isn't it? Greatest pain is caused by people we love. And sometimes the arrows come from behind in the body of Christ. And that is a very sad thing, but it's true. But still, we carry the treasure. So, he describes what it means to carry the treasure in jars of clay. And the bottom line is, no matter how bad things seem or how hopeless our situation looks, God is still there. That's his name, Emmanuel. I even named a church after that. It means God's with us. It's very encouraging. The Lord is with you. You know, there's one prophet in the Old Testament, and we, we, we talk about, oh, charismatic so-called prophecies, and someone comes up and says, oh, you know, life is wonderful, says the Lord, and we think, what was that, you know? But there was one prophet in the Old Testament, all he came, did when he came to the people, he said, the Lord is with you. That's all he said. And it revolutionized the situation. So, God is with you. No matter how hopeless your situation may look or how difficult, God's with you and He'll bring you through. So Paul wrote, I'm just sticking in 2 Corinthians, always carrying, and by the way, if anyone does want the notes for this, I can um, send them to whoever does that type of thing in the church and they can be put on a website, that's fine. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Now he says he was carrying around the death of Jesus. The usual word for death in the New Testament is thanatos. Uh, but that's not the word he uses here. He uses a different word, which is necrosis. And words ending in S-I-S in Greek refer to a process. And so he deliberately uh, uses this word necrosis to refer to the process of dying and suggests that in our lifelong work for Christ, even as the power of God is being manifest, we are in a continual process of dying. And it's true. Our life as a whole is characterized by continual dying, a dying to sin, uh, a dying in the process of suffering for what we're doing for Christ, a dying in terms of attack of the enemy. And uh, I like what uh, 
the biblical scholar N.T. Wright says, God meets us usually at the screaming point. <laughs> Anybody been there? <laughs> well, I have. Uh, and you can't deny the reality of your suffering. Suffering is a, that's one of the other problems with the faith and prosperity message. that They try to paper it over and deny it or say, well, if you're suffering, there's something out of order. You haven't got enough faith or something like that. That's a pile of, well, fill in the blank. So, no, suffering is a consequence of the fact we all still live in a fallen world. A young man that wrote a a chapter for this book on suffering that I've written has just passed away of cancer at the age of 32 in Newcastle. And it's just very difficult. Was there sin in his life? No. Well, of course there was, but no more than a year's or mine. But it's like nuclear fallout. Uh, Once the thing blows up, it... The rain falls in the unjust and the unjust alike, and so does the negative consequences of living in this fallen world. So, as Christians, we're delivered from the eternal consequences of our sin, yet, and God protects us from lots of stuff, most of which we're not even aware of. But His primary protection, if I could expound Revelation 12, which I won't, His, uh, sorry, 11, his, uh, his primary protection is spiritual, not physical. So, in addition to our day-to-day exposure to life in a fallen world, God calls us to be willing to take on extra suffering as Christians. And as men, we're at the tip of the arrow. It's our job to take the hits. It's our job to take the hits. It's not our job to sit back and let our wife or our children take the hits. When the spirit of a pout comes upon us, when we vacate the premises, when we go off and do stupid things because we're angry and haven't got what we wanted, not that that would ever have happened to any of us, we have failed our commission as men. Taking the hits includes allowing our wives to be angry at us and just listening. Taking the hits includes going after our kids when they're in trouble and not rejecting them or getting mad at them. Taking the hits includes walking in accountability when your accountability partner has some pretty hard things to say to you. That's all part of taking the hits. Taking the hits is not failure. It's called leadership training. Most of what good leaders learn is from right responses to their own failures. We have this great delusion, and often men think they're failures. We need to redefine failure. And we need to redefine meaning of success as well. But most of what we learn is from a right response to our own failures. So taking the hits is part of the life Jesus calls us to. Even as it was part of his life on earth, except in his case it was completely undeserved. Now, Paul had a secret that he knew which was that the strength and power of God is shown in the same way it was at Calvary, in the weakness and vulnerability of those who place their trust in Him and not in themselves. Matter of fact, His power is only ever made perfect in one place. That's our weakness. Never made, his power is never made manifest in your strength. Because when you're strong, you don't think you need Him. You're what? American friend of mine says is, 
you think you're all that in a bucket of chicken. <laughs> Never quite figured out what it meant, but it sounds good. When you think you're all that in a bucket of chicken, God won't use you. He's not interested in people who think they're something. He's interested in people who know they're nothing. And His power will only be made manifest in your weakness. I need to finish this if I can find the right page. Okay. What's God's purpose in our suffering? Uh, it's that the life of Jesus may be manifest. Even in our mortal bodies, which is the very place we're suffering. It's worth taking the hit, whether it's at work, whether it's at church, whether it's at home. If what you're getting by taking the hit uh, the right way is the life of Jesus in you. The life of Jesus is revealed in you through the hits that you take in two ways, inwardly and outwardly. Inwardly, the Bible says God is refining us. Peter spoke of a faith which is proven genuine because it's refined by fire. Peter knew it from personal experience because he took a few hits. I mean, how many men did Jesus call Satan? <laughs> you know, and... Uh, how many men had their public denial of Jesus prophesied and recorded for all the rest of, this, of us to read for 2,000 years? You know? But who was it that had the privilege of preaching at the greatest church service ever held? Same guy, right? Pentecost. Peter had right responses to his failures. He learned how to take the hits. God, I think, is removing the garbage from our lives. All too often, as men, we depend on the wrong things for happiness. And by the way, God's not committed to your happiness. This is not a seeker-sensitive church, is it? Uh, God's not committed to your happiness. He is committed to your joy, but not to your happiness. That's another message. But we depend on the wrong things. Money job, reputation, sex, and health. The list goes on. Now, there's nothing wrong with those things unless they become a substitute, in which case they're idolatrous. And God will take those human supports away, one by one. And He will, if they stand in the way of a deeper walk with Him. That's called the discipline of sonship, isn't it? You're actually a legitimate son. I, I shouldn't say this, but... Uh, You'll have to take it the right way, uh, I hope. But uh, there was a young man, and it was an emergency, marriage, crisis. And I happened to be visiting with a pastor at the time. And the phone call came, and he said, Dave will counsel you. I said, thank you very much. <laughs> it was like another situation in the United States I was called to, which involved guns. And the pastor said, Dave will deal with it. <laughs> so thank you very much. Excuse me while I phone my wife and make funeral arrangements. <laughs> uh, anyway, this young guy arrived, and he'd been a jerk, to be honest. Men can be jerks, can't they? <laughs> they. <laughs> anyway, uh, he had been a jerk to his wife. And I did something that I think I've only ever done twice in my public ministry, and uh, I can guarantee I'll never be invited back probably to speak here again after I reveal this. But I slapped him. And I said, that's what God thinks of what you've done to your wife. But then I put my arms around him. And you know what? 
he burst into tears, sobbed for about five minutes. And I knew he'd never had a good relationship with his father. And what he needed to learn was the discipline of sonship. He needed to have men in his life who would discipline him, but who then would reassure him of their love for him. And that was years ago, and I'm, I, I never thought the marriage would survive, but it has, and I was talking to him recently. He's now in uh, training to be a pastor. Wonderful work. Uh, and God has slapped me more times than I can think, and it was never easy. But the Bible says in Hebrews 12, later on it produces a harvest of righteousness. You know how God refines us? By making us more dependent on Him, because in the end, there ain't nowhere else to go. I wish it wasn't like that. Don't you? Admit it. I know, you're more spiritual than I am. So inwardly, He's refining us, and that hurts, but it's always worth it in the end. And outwardly, I'm just about finished, God is causing us to bear more fruit. We're, given, we're being given over to death, he says, in order that the life may be manifest. God wants the life that comes out of our challenges not only to bless us, to be, but to become a blessing and source of strength to others. Death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. So the garbage that I go through, the failure that I experience, the hits that I take... The discipline of sonship that comes upon me, Jesus removing all the stuff from my life that I've depended on, taking it all away so that I have nothing but Him in that death experience, it changes me, but it does something in me that enables me to help you. That's what happens, doesn't it? Until we experienced a miscarriage, we never knew what it was like, really, to sit with a couple who had experienced miscarriage. But when we experienced miscarriage ourselves, everything changed. We knew what it was like. And so when we've been through, I used to go to conferences and, you know, it would be typically the conference speaker would be, uh, started a church in my, you know, back room uh, six weeks ago with three people and now I've got 22,000 and here's all my books and DVDs. Now I'm selling books anyway. <laughs> Very bad. But it was so discouraging. And then I started going to conferences where the guys were like men like me. Well, I've been through a lot of failure, a lot of it. Man, it's been hard. It's taken us years. We've gradually gained some ground. And I thought, that's what encourages me. You don't want to talk to some guy that comes to you and says, my life has been wonderful and you are a bit of a failure. But if you just learn to live like me, everything will be wonderful. You know. <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> Dear Lord Jesus, get me out of here. No. But if you have a man that comes and sits beside you and says, you know, I know what you're going through. I just want to share with you, ten years ago I went through the same thing. It was hell. But I'll tell you what, the Lord will bring you through because He brought me through. That's something. That's something that helps you. So through the hardship and challenges that come from our taking our place as men, to serve God and to lead and to take the hits, no matter what the cost, other people will be touched maybe even away in ways that we're not aware of. Everything we go through has a point. When you're in this, 
live in obedience to the will of God, if we believe in the sovereignty of God, which hopefully we do, um, when you walk in the will of God, everything that happens is right. I mean, there may, may be a lot of garbage in it because we live in a fallen world, but God has a, the most incredible capacity to redeem and bring good out of the worst situation. And even if you die, like my friend in Newcastle did a few weeks ago, he's now with the Lord rejoicing, and his life has had an amazing impact. You can't help another man unless you've taken the hits yourself. It's one of the things in these men's... I've run men's conferences for a number of years in uh, several countries, and one of the things that I that I felt God spoke to me when I started doing it was every man that came had to write a short assignment and the assignment was describe a challenge you've been through in the last year and how God's helped you through it. And uh, instead of typical conferences where some preacher goes on forever and whatnot, which, you know, I mean, sometimes that's a good thing because that's how I earn my living. But... Uh, <laughs> For most of it was guys just standing up and sharing these challenges. You can imagine what they were, pornography and, you know, uh, marital issues and stuff. And sometimes I had to say, no, you can't share that because you're going to uncover your wife and so on. But discouragement, depression, oh, just the most in- incredible number of things. And then, uh, as they shared how God had helped them in the midst of it, other men started getting impacted because they were going through uh, exactly the same thing. And we got to the point where we just say, well, who, else, who, who in the room now is going through what this guy's just described? And a few guys put their hand up and they'd all go and pray for each other. And we, I've seen lives changed. I get letters. I get letters from wives. What have you done to my husband? Thank you so much. <laughs> Amazing. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Men who respond positively to challenge, men who don't pout, men who don't give up, men who don't vacate, men who don't, don't dump their problems and their wife or kids, even when their pain has reached that screaming point and their flesh is crying out in agony, but men who still hang in there in spite of it all, these are the men who will find God. These are the men God will use. These are the men God will empower when you respond positively to God in the middle of everything that the world, the flesh, and the devil can throw against you, your effectiveness for His kingdom will increase exponentially. And that's God's plan for your life. And in the end, it's all, all worth it. And it all makes sense. God's always investing into our lives so that we might be more productive and fruitful. Everything He does, even the things that seem painful sometimes particularly the things that seem painful, has a positive purpose. Uh, I was at a conference and a friend of mine uh, got up and said, there's some men here you feel like the past is pursuing you. And no doubt there's some of you here this morning that feel that. But let me tell you, when you feel the past is pursuing you, uh, I want to tell you, you have a future. Don't let the past pursue you. Let the future possess you. And the Bible talks about redeeming the time. Redeeming the time means this. No matter how old you are, literally, no matter how old you are or how young you are, uh, there are. you can always take hold of tomorrow. There's always a tomorrow in God. Don't let the past pursue you. 
let the future possess you. So in times of trial and testing, remember this, brothers, and with this I close. God is at work in your circumstances, accomplishing purposes you cannot see or understand, but which are nevertheless real. He's drawing you closer. He's changing you. He's making you a man. I want to be a man of perseverance. I want to be a man who runs the race and finishes it. I want to be a man who endures whatever comes along the way. I want to be a man who submits to the refiner's fire. I want to be a man who lays down his life in order to receive it back. I want to be a man who's weak in myself but strong in Christ. I want to be a poor, perishable (coughs) vessel containing eternal treasure, dying but living in my poverty always pointing to His glory. And if by my dying day I become that man, I'll have won. And so will you. Let's just stand together. Now, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Maybe I've just been going on here and you can't relate to one single thing that I've said. Or maybe you can. Maybe there's something that's jumped out at you. Some of you feel, man, God is is speaking right to me. How do you know that I came in here this morning feeling like that? How do you know that circumstance that I'm dealing with? You see... Jesus knows all those things. I think God is saying to some of you, just stop comparing yourself to other men. Just stop it. That's of no constructive purpose. You'll never be like the guy beside you. Or behind you. You'll never be like that anyway. He didn't make you like that. He made you as you are. Stop downgrading the deposit that God has put in you. Because you don't think it compares favorably with somebody else. Stop believing the lies of the enemy. It's your choice. You can carry on believing the lies or you can stop it. So stop it. And those of you that have been through experiences of crushing failure, uh, allow the Holy Spirit to reinterpret some of the things that have happened to you. Because none of you are failures. Not one. How you respond determines the true caliber of man that you are. 
See, some men enter the world with all the advantages, a wonderful family or money or education or whatever. Uh, and then the rest of us wish we were like them. But don't. It's, it's not that those outwards. It's what you do with what He's given you. That's what counts, right? And, uh, and then you can rejoice in who you are. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you'd set men free now from this curse of failure and from this sense of inferiority and this tendency to compare with others. And some of you have just fallen into despair and depression because you just think, ah, oh, stuff has just one thing after another has gone wrong in my life and I'm just a failure. And you kind of got very disheartened. And Father, to those men, I just pray, even now by Your Spirit, You'd break the lie of the enemy and show them that the a garbage they've undeniably gone through has a good purpose. You will bring a good purpose out of it if they'll allow you to do that. And I pray for you, uh, brothers, that you would truly learn to walk in accountability and openness, which means being willing to bear your insecurities. That's a tough one. Because you're fearful that you know, someone else that you share your weaknesses with may come in and crush you or look down upon you, but they won't. If they're honest, they'll just share what their weaknesses are. And you'll be able to build one another up. So let's have church where uh, there aren't those kind of barriers between us as men. Where... We're not on the ladder of success and looking down on those below us and envious of those above us. That's, that's the world. That's the kingdom of darkness. In the body of Christ, we're all on level ground. We can all uh, be vulnerable uh, with each other in a safe place. And Lord, I pray for this church and the men of it that they would learn to walk in that way. There's so many men out in this community. This is a successful place. It's a place with money attached to it. It's a place where there's high-powered businessmen and uh, high-powered retired businessmen and all that type of mentality that goes with it, which is such a lie of the enemy because so many of them are going to hell when they die. And all their money and business success and social prestige will amount to less than nothing. So Lord, help us, whether we have been outwardly successful at business, that's fine, or whether we haven't, just help us to be men who live a different life, who follow the one who hung naked on the Roman cross even though he owned all the treasures of the universe and was the most successful man who ever lived, and yet he did that. Lord, that gives me encouragement that I can uh, take a risk and if I appear to fail, but it's in a glorious cause, then it's worth it. Lord, let us be men 
who are prepared to risk further failure, if that's what you call us to do, who risk looking stupid, who risk fearing what other people think of us because it's better than sitting on our backside and doing nothing. But Lord, in the process, we'll become bigger men, not smaller men. So bless these brothers, Lord. I pray for a deep work of the Holy Spirit, the inadequate words that I've tried to express what you were saying this morning might actually go out and be touched and picked up by your Spirit. The seed of the Word of God is scattered amongst the group of us here this morning. And we take out of it something that you are speaking to. Let the Word be as a prophetic goad in our side that if we need to be goaded and reminded, Lord, we'll receive that. Or if it needs to be a word of just encouragement and picking us up, that we'll, it'll keep coming back to us. Not just today, but tomorrow and next week and the week after. And we'll say, I remember when God spoke that to me. And then we'll be able to turn around and help other guys too. So Lord, thank you for the privilege it is of serving you, no matter what it looks like outwardly. In the end, it's always worth it. Amen. Amen. Yes. Amen. 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 Amen.